Welcome back to the podcast of the River Anglican Church in Blacksburg, Virginia. Today we start a new series called The Secret Place, which is about our interior life with God. And we're going to start with some folks from Jesus' time who didn't have such great interior lives, the Pharisees. So here's Jonathan. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts to you this morning, give us spiritual sensitivity to you. We long for your glory and for your presence here. God, will you overwhelm us so that we might experience you this morning, not merely encounter your word, but encounter you through your word. Lord, would you have your way with us this morning? We surrender ourselves to you. We sit at your feet, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. So as springtime comes, I begin thinking about uh, gardening. Because during COVID, Robin and I began gardening. How many of you took up a new hobby during COVID? Any of you? Eh, okay, that's not as many as I thought. Well, well, we took up gardening, and Robin has some green thumbs, and everything she touches brings life to everything. And I'm more of like a black thumb guy, and everything I touch just seems to die quickly and hastily. So if you want a plant or whatever to die, just let me at it, you know. But gardening's a great metaphor for this upcoming series in The Secret Place, which is all about cultivating our relationship with the Lord. And that is, by the way, where our relationship with God began. Do you remember in a garden? There, it's a cooperative relationship between us and the Lord. Uh, we prepare the soil, we water it, we you know, trim and prune the plants. I kill them. We water incessantly. We protect our fragile garden from the pestilence and the fungus and all the different stuff that destroys our plants. But the rest is up to God. And in the same way, cultivating our relationship with the Lord requires work and it requires patience. And the soil is us. We must prepare ourselves to meet with God. And this requires getting our hands dirty, you know, rolling up our sleeves and working hard and regular watering with the word and with prayer and spiritual disciplines like silence and solitude and fasting. It means protecting your relationship and my relationship with the Lord from the pestilence of the world and the flesh and the devil. And it is hard work, but the rest is up to God. And the Apostle Paul acknowledged this cooperation between humankind and God in the garden, saying to the Corinthians, I planted it, Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. And so we must do our part, friends. God does his. We must not lose sight of the goal because I see a lot of Facebook posts and stuff where it looks like the goal is piety or the, the goal is the disciplines or the goal is us. No, the goal is intimacy with God. And all these means of grace, whether it's the church or whether it's the spiritual disciplines, whatever it is, is meant to draw us to God. And liturgy too, by the way is meant to draw us to our Lord. The Westminster Confession of Faith, a summary for the Reformed faith, 
I love the way they do it. The first question in the catechism is this, what is the chief end of man? I love their answer, to love God and enjoy him forever. And the question that I really want to get at is, do you enjoy him? And do I enjoy him in the garden? So our series is going to look like this. Today we're going to talk about the invitation of the secret place. Next week, the rewards. The third week, spiritual disciplines. The fourth week, the wilderness. The fifth week, obstacles to the garden. And that takes us to Palm Sunday, where we remember the triumphal entry of Jesus. And then in Holy Week, we have Monday, Thursday. We have an amazing Seder meal. I'm so excited Uh, to do that Seder meal together where we tie together the traditions of the Hebrew people with our Messiah. And then finally, we'll have a good, excuse me, no, two finallys. We'll have a good Friday service. And then finally, in Holy Week, we have Easter. And I believe it's going to be a, a deep and a rich Lent. And I pray that you travel with the Lord because he has things for you this Lent So if you will, open with me, phone, Bible, whatever, or just listen, Matthew chapter 6, and that's going to be our primary text for today. And I'm going to read this scripture and then make some applications. Matthew 6, beginning at verse 5. It says, And when you pray, he's talking to his disciples, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. The first thing we see in this passage is that Jesus contrasts two types of people. The first is the is not named, but he's clearly speaking about the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And a bit of historical background to this, the Pharisees and Sadducees were basically sects of Judaism. Uh, you know, Pharisees focused more on the law, Sadducees the law, and they were involved in uh, and government, and uh, enforcing the law. And though eventually some Pharisees came to follow Jesus, for the most of Jesus' ministry, they were his adversaries. I was doing a little research on on Pharisees, and I found one uh, author who listed 18 characteristics of Pharisees. So I'd like to go through all those. No, I'm kidding. But I did just summarize those into eight points that I found most helpful. And the first thing about Pharisees is that they threw aside God's commandments and they made their own rules equal with God's law or greater than God's law. Second, they were more concerned with outer purity than they were the inner purity of the heart. Jesus said they cleaned the outside of the cup, but they left the inside of the cup filthy. Their hearts were full of wickedness. In fact, he called them whitewashed tombs, which is a tomb that's decorated. So that's what Pharisees are. They're like a tomb, dead, but looking beautiful on the outside. Third, they tithed on herbs, which is good, but more important matters like justice and the love of God were overlooked. 
They strained at a gnat, he said, and swallowed a camel, meaning they made a big deal of trivial matters and they made a small deal of very important matters. Fourth, they practiced hypocrisy. They praised God with their words, but he says in God's words, your hearts are far from me. Oh, friend, may it not be said of us that our hearts are far from him when outwardly we praise him with our lips. Fifth, they judged others. They thought themselves superior and others lesser, and they kept the appearance of being in right standing with God, thinking that would make them righteous, which it did not, while also keeping other people out. In this way, they excluded people from the kingdom of God. They piled heavy rules and laws on other people, while being unwilling, said Jesus, to even lift a finger to help them. Sixth, they practiced greed and self-indulgence. They used the law as a weapon against others while ignoring important matters like caring for their parents or being generous financially, which they were not, or, and also by creating loopholes for divorce and remarriage. All this Jesus indicted them for. Seventh, they took away the keys of knowledge. They, in, they actually obstructed others, not aided them, but obstructed them from getting into heaven. They made people fail, and they made people fall. Jesus said they went on land and sea to convert people, which they did, and they made those converts, according to Jesus, twice a child of hell as they are. And eighth and finally, they tempted, and they accused, and they opposed Jesus. They frequently attempted to entangle him and entrap him, the Pharisees in general indicted the Lord before inquiring of him and seeking to understand him. Well, that's a convicting list, I think. Not just talking about them, but, but me. I'll talk about that in a minute. I had lunch with a friend and he confided something in me that I thought was helpful, and I, I wanted to share what he said with you. Uh, his name is Joe Smith, by the way. That was a joke, so don't share anything with Jonathan. But seriously, something that he said was a perfect summary of the Pharisees, and he told me something about submarine religion. He said, you know, during the week I go underwater, I tend to be isolated, I tend to live apart from other Christians. As the sub is underwater, I can tend to do what I want and make decisions according to myself. But then the sub comes up, right, for, for Sunday morning. And in Sunday morning, I feel like I'm, I'm alive to God. I'm listening. I'm singing. I'm praying the prayers. You know, I want what God wants. But then during the week, the sub goes back underwater. And again, I live as if I'm on my own and don't make decisions or think about the Lord and I really appreciated his candor and his honesty because all of us can understand the tendency to, on Sunday mornings, like put on our Sunday best, so to speak, even if we're not dressed up. And that was a great way to sum up the Pharisees. And honestly, I see a, a bit of myself in that. When they were in public, they were righteous and they were onerous and religious. But God could see their hearts during the week. God could see that 
during the week, they were no better than anyone else. The second person in this passage is the true seeker in prayer. Look at verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. I want you to observe with me that the true seeker goes into their room. Our primary place of meeting with God, not as in the public eye like the Pharisees, our primary place with meeting with God is in the room. It's in the secret place where we're not seeking the attention and the pleasure of others, but just an audience of one, and that's God. One of our bishops, Steve Breedlove, did a bit of writing on this, and he said this, The room is Timaeon, my storeroom, the place where I am the steward of the goods of my person, the sensitive center of my whole life. The storeroom in an ancient Jewish home is secret because it's to be kept safe from robbery or pilfering or loss. Only I, as the steward, have the key to it. Regardless of how things look in the rest of the house and garden, if provisions are dwindling in the storeroom, the life of the house cannot continue without being imperiled. Friends, it is in this precious storeroom where the treasures are kept that we truly find our Lord. Notice also in this Mark 6, 6, he says, go in and close the door. And it made me think about, you know, when we really want to connect with someone, when we're in an important conversation, you know, we want to do it in a place where we're not going to be interrupted, where there's not going to be distractions. And we're very protective to make sure, you know, oh, I'm going to take a booth rather than a seat out in front of everybody. If it's too loud, oh, I don't think we can meet here. You get the idea. In the same way, we close the door. We're jealous of that time with our Father. It's that precious time in the storeroom with Him. And we want it to be kept safe at all possible from distractions. And third in this verse, Jesus says that the seeker prays. Jesus does not say to his disciples, if you pray. He says, when you pray. And he says, go to your father who's unseen. And I just want you to note that in that day... In biblical times, and even today, many Jews do not speak about God in the way that Jesus began to speak about God. He used those terms, Abba, Father, which is like Daddy. And even today in Israel, you can hear boys go, oh, Abba, Daddy, you know, Abba, Daddy, you know, Bevakasha, come. Bo Bevakasha, come please. You can hear them use that word each and every day. But that is not how Jews understood him. He was just distant and removed and holier than thou, not to be accessed, you know, by mere mortals. Of course, he is holy and he is out there. But Jesus talked about him and he talked about his father as Abba, Daddy. And to some, that would appear so intimate. It would border on familial and offensive and presumptive. But no, to Jesus, he is our father who is unseen, our daddy. What an amazing verse it is in the latter part of John when Jesus says to his disciples, I no longer call you servants. Like, oh no, I'm not a servant anymore? You know, where's this going, Jesus? He says, I no longer call you servants. 
because a servant does not know his master's business. Now I call you friends. Isn't that amazing? We pray to a God who's not only most high, but a God who's most nigh. We pray to a God who's, who we're not just to fear, but a God who is near. And the key to knowing God and to knowing God's will is to be with God in the secret place and to close the door and to pray. I love what some of the patriarchs and matriarchs of our faith have said about prayer. Tozer says this, If Bible Christianity is to survive the present world upheaval, we shall need to have a fresh revelation of the greatness and beauty of Jesus. He alone can raise our cold hearts to rapture and restore again the art of true worship. Elizabeth Elliot said, Prayer lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between his will and its accomplishment on earth. Amazing things happen, and we are given the privilege of being the channels of the Holy Spirit's prayer. J. Sidlow Baxter says this, Men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. Isn't that amazing? Secondly, and more briefly, note in this passage, each of these two types of people receive rewards. And you look at verses 6, and he talks about the hypocrites who pay in the, pray in the public eye, and he says, they have received their reward in full. And last week, we talked about rewards, how they're powerful, how like, it's like when a boss comes to you and says, look, if you do this and accomplish this, I'm going to give you benefits, and I'm going to give you, you know, um, a bonus and recognition. You're like, wow, that'd be a great day. I don't see that. But the Lord talks about two types of rewards, and the first is the reward of the Pharisees. Because, because they, they're all bent on the praise of people and the public eye and the recognition, he says they have received their reward. That's it. They don't get any spiritual reward from God because that's what they're after, the pleasure and the praise of people. They get only one reward, and that's an earthly reward. But the second group, a different kind of reward, he said, but you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And friends, this is a promise The Father sees what you do and who you are in secret and who I am. He sees the investment we make or not into that relationship. He sees how we regularly and consistently take time and separate time and make appointments with him like we make appointments with other people or not. And he sees if and when we do pray. And he tells us, I will reward you. He strengthens us and gives us joy in his presence. He strengthens us against sin. He gives us a discipline where there's not discipline. He gives us a heart for him. He gives us love for other people that we may not have love for. He helps us to forgive people we need to forgive. And the list goes on and on. And that's all the topic of next week is the rewards and the benefits of the secret place. And I just want to say parenthetically, that's the whole reason we're doing this 40-day challenge. The reason we're doing this 40-day challenge is to say, let's test the Lord in the good sense, and let's spend 40 days with the Lord in this season of Lent. 
Let's have daily time with the Lord. And in this 40-day challenge, which I have in my seat, but in this packet that we put together, every week, at the end of the week, we ask you to reflect on how it's made a difference in your life. And Robin and I sat down in, in this morning before worship, and it was just great to hear how God is already making a difference in her life through spending time with him and through what he's doing in our life together. And at the end of that 40-day challenge, sometime in Holy, whether it's Palm Sunday or Easter, we haven't figured out yet, we're going to open the floor to you all so that you can testify, here's what time with God has done. Not to be boisterous or to be, you know, pharisaical, but just to say, this is what God has done in my life through spending more time with him. Are you excited about that? Like, seriously, that is exciting stuff. Get on board, folks. Get off your tushes. Let's get going. Okay? Okay. So to summarize, there are two types of rewards. Which kind of reward do you want? Just to think, for people to think well of you and to think you're righteous and to think you're holy? Or do you want the pleasure of God? And do you want the presence of God in your life? And that leads to this third and final question. Which type of person are you? Are you the Pharisee or are you the true seeker? And I have to be honest, I'm both. I'm definitely both. I need the good news to confront the Pharisee in me just like the Pharisees needed the good news of Jesus to confront them. I tend to be many things on this list. I can look at this list of, you know, being more concerned with perception and outer purity than with the purity of the heart, the, the, the tendency to spend time, you know, praising God in public, but not spend time with God in private. I mean, how hypocritical. The tendency to be judgmental and critical of others and to want God's forgiveness for the sins and things in my life, but to not pass that forgiveness on to others. Friends, I am a class A Pharisee. And the question is, how are you a Pharisee? But the amazing part of the gospel is that he loves the Pharisee just as much as he loves the true seeker. Jesus confronted the Pharisee not to, not to demean them or to condemn them. He confronted them because he loved them and he wanted to see them changed and so he hit them hard. As I heard one people say early in my ministry, Jesus never got as mad with sinners as he did with the religious. He never put down the sinners, but he confronted the religious hard because their hearts were hard. And friends, if you don't see the religious person in you, then you're missing it. Because I do. And the gospel this morning is that he loves you, the Pharisee, and he loves you, the seeker. And I need him for both. And so in closing, this series is really about us laying ourselves at the feet of Jesus and saying, God, I need you to confront the person I am and the person I'm not. I need you to see the things that are most important from the things that are trivial. I need you to make me into someone I cannot make myself. I need you. I need you. I need you every hour. I need you. 
It's all about us laying ourselves at the feet of God and finding that the secret place is better than any other place we could be because one day in his courts are better than a thousand elsewhere. Let's pray. And if you would, kneel for prayer. Thanks for joining us for this sermon from the River Anglican Church. You can find us on the web at therivernrv.org, also on Facebook, and you can join us in person if you like on Sunday mornings at 9.15 at 110 Roanoke Street East, Blacksburg, Virginia, 24060. We hope to see you again next week.